Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get into those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. We are back. It is the eve of the NFL draft, scintillating three days worth of couch time. Keith, is that where you'll be? Uh, Negatory. Negatory. Yeah, I've kind of probably shouldn't start a show by saying this. There was a time when I would not miss a pick. Well, there was a time when, you know, let's be fair, you had five, six, seven, eight people that you had seen, probably met, at least have talked to that you had done broadcast of either radio or indoor television, and you're going, wow, I wonder where he's going to go, where it's going to end up. And unfortunately, in the last couple of years, we haven't had those many opportunities. No question. Without as strong a personal connection, I'm not as vested in watching it. So I'll watch and see where Brian Burns goes, mm-hmm. watch the first round a little bit. But overall, and they changed, you know, it used to remember when it used to be Saturday and Sunday? Yep, yep. God, how, how long has that been? It's probably been like 12 years and a it decade, feels like three least, years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'll look that up at some point during the show, but much longer than we would think. Well, the, so they turned it into primetime viewing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I heard a commentator, sports prognosticator, somebody said, you know, if you stop and think about it, we are going to turn in, tune in to, to 32 names to be called. It's like graduation. And we all hate going to graduations because they take 40 forevers. And yet we're going to tune in and take our personal time to listen to 32 names be called in one evening. But that's to ESPN, who's built it up as such an event. And really, they built the network around having the rights to the draft when everybody thought it was silly. And now here they are what they are. We're even going to have an ACC network. There you go. Supposed to show up in August at some point, right? We'll talk deeper about that as that gets closer. Yeah, but at point being, I don't have a great interest. But where do, where do you think uh, – well, more than where do you think he's going to go because that becomes a crapshoot on who's playing poker and who's not and who really wants him. Do you see Brian Burns as a difference maker at the next level? I, I think he will not have an immediate impact. Um, I mean, he's not he's not a, obviously a clowny or, or someone that's going to come in and have an immediate impact. But I do think, given his work ethic and the fact that he's still got to do some things potentially to his body in terms of maybe gaining some weight or, or gaining you know some different skill sets, he may be a guy that's poised, Tommy, to have a, a nice 6, 8, 10-year career 
And at some point in year three or four or five, if he's in the right situation at the right time, he may develop into someone that's a very significant contributor to wherever he goes. He he has that much innate talent in him, you know, just just by what God has gifted him with. And he appears to have developed a pretty good work ethic about knowing what he needs to do in order to get better. Let me rephrase. Would you draft him in the first round? Um, if I had a need, I would. If I had a need. And there's always three or four or five clubs that are going to have the need of a pass-rushing defensive end wherever they can get them, whether they sign them in the free agent market or they draft them. And uh, so, yeah, if I had a need. Now, if I had two accomplished starters, I probably wouldn't take him in the first round uh, as a backup, not at all. He's projected to go in the first round. Correct. Some have him in the top 10. I think most probably have him more, uh, you know, between 20 11 and 30. 11 to 20 or something. Yeah, or 15 to 30, second half of the first round. Anyway, that's tomorrow. Uh, he'll obviously make a roster, and he'll make big bucks regardless and it'll be guaranteed dollars because he's going to go high enough after that and we talked about this last week with charles davis you've got i don't think i'm leaving anybody out but you have jacques patrick you have demarcus christmas you have nooney murray christmas is the one that that i think is is a little bit of a sleeper uh if if someone gets high on him they really like his his body type and his skill set um he may be somebody that someone takes a chance on in the in the third or the fourth round he may he may end up being a second-day guy, although I think he's projected to be in the latter rooms, if not even a free agent. Uh, but Christmas is a guy. There, there's just not that many big, nimble defensive tackles. They, they're not, not a lot of them are made every year. So ultimately, Burns will make a roster. I think Christmas and Patrick will at least make a practice squad, whether or not they're drafted or whether or not they make the – the roster, I don't know. I don't see Nooney even necessarily laying in. I see him getting a training camp invite. He'll get an invite. I don't see him. Maybe he sticks with the practice squad a little bit, but I just don't think he doesn't have, to me, he doesn't have any of the intangibles in his favor, uh, meaning he doesn't have great size. He's been, he was inconsistent on the field, Florida State. Uh, he doesn't have great speed. And, you know, there's been some concerns just in terms of consistency and lining up and, and that sort of thing. I don't think there's – in other words, there's a lot of guys who would fit that profile that could be under practice squad ultimately. That is correct. And, and if he had some of those intangibles, that might be a reason to keep him around. Uh, I just – I agree with you. I don't think that he possesses those, at least not to any degree that I've seen. But would you – I mean, maybe he's similar to, to Bobo who has stuck with the Bucks for a year or two, but Bobo was more consistent if you look at his, his track record overall. I don't know that that's the perfect example. All right, let's talk about something fun that we can talk about in April because anytime this is a hot-button issue, targeting. I've heard of it. The NCAA is changing the rules. Well, let's don't say changing. I don't, I'm not going to go. They're changing the administration they're, they're tweak, of the rule. They're tweaking how they interpret the rule would be how I would phrase it. Uh, you say targeting, I say Trey Marshall. Um, <laughs> so let, let's see. So the change, there's nothing changed about what constitutes, constitutes targeting, right? which is a whole other issue for another conversation for another day. But they're changing two things. One is that upon every targeting, you're going to have to review it and either uphold it or say it wasn't targeting. Correct. You can no longer say there's not enough evidence. The replay official is going to have to make a decision. Do you agree with the call on the field or do you disagree with the call on the field? Which means that you won't have 15 yards involved potentially? I think you always have 15 yards involved. Okay. I think the targeting is whether the ejection is uh, upheld or not. 
Okay. Well, we'll see because as I'm reading this, and to be fair, and this is great radio, I'm, I, I didn't read all the minutiae on this, but the change to targeting makes it a so-called progressive penalty, meaning that players who commit three targeting fouls in the same season could face a one-game suspension. Which, by the way, doesn't make any sense to me because if you're targeted, you get suspended for a game anyway. Is that another game? I read it, and I don't know what it says. Yeah, under the current rules, players who commit targeting are ejected from the game required to miss the first half of the next game. Penalty care of the same. Maybe, maybe what they're saying is if you get flagged three times for targeting. Yeah, it's it's also progressive. Even if you're not ejected, but you're still flagged for it. Upon the third flag, you get suspended. For I still say, and this has to do with conferences. It, clearly, folks, we're not very informed on what the actual rule is at this point. So maybe we should do some homework in the break and figure it out, or maybe there's still going to be ambiguity until we... I, I think there's still going to be ambiguity until we get about halfway through the season. This has to do with the fact that conferences have their own officiating crews. There's not a national body, all that stuff. You could do this in the NFL. I, to me, this is still a penalty. You, you flag it on the field. Don't waste the time and slow down the game to review it. Review it after the game and deter- get some committee that looks at every targeting fall- call across the country and says, Jones, that was targeting. Block, that was not. Hand out the penalty on Monday at the start of the week, and everybody knows whether they have that player or not, and you didn't waste the five minutes looking at the replay during the game. Not only that, I really, really hate the fact that you can be called for targeting you know, in the second half of a ball game, and you get thrown out of that half and the first half of the next. I've always thought that if you're going to be suspended, Suspend right. for the entire game, and your your way of doing that would eliminate. That well, aspect. it's on par with the NFL looking at at fouls and saying that so and so needs to be fined. You're not going to find the college kids, but the league office is looking at that. And every Sunday or Monday, they come out with so and so's got hit for the. To me, it would be much cleaner and more consistent because now this, I guess, this will make it a little bit better, but maybe not because you're still going to have. Well, the ACC said that wasn't targeting, and the SEC looked at it and said that targeting was upheld it's still a judgment call there that's not going to be enforced consistently though in and maybe, theory and this maybe will be our, more consistent than what it's been and maybe our expectation also is because it's like pass interference pass interference sometimes is very obvious and sometimes it's not and it's all in the eyes of the beholder uh, i don't know that you could write the rule so that it would be 100 percent clear every time it's just one of those things one of the things, and we'll stop with the targeting talk. We've tried. We did our part a couple of years ago. We should try again. People don't understand all the different elements that constitute this, targeting. And then this and then that. So people are upset to begin with because they don't realize yep. that by rule, if you led with the head but hit a guy in the shin. You're okay. No, you're not because you led with the head. No, I'm sorry. Yes, you, you led with the head. <laughs> so, the, well, my point exactly. You just made my point. I Thank you. And it was unrehearsed. Here's the other part of it, that, that uh, everybody thinks that there has to be some interpretation of intent. And the intent has nothing to do with it. Your point, you could have accidentally done it. Yeah. And it's still targeting, unfortunately. Here's the real thing that will come into play three times a year. They have changed the overtime rules. <laughs> This is in light of the seven overtime the, Texas A&M LSU-A&M thing. Yeah, so not only are we doing this, uh, what used to be known as the Kansas tiebreaker, but now, uh, so, so how long do we go? After do four? Two, two series or four series? I think it's four. If a game reaches a fifth overtime, teams will no longer trade starts at the opponent's 25-yard line. They'll start at the two and get one play, right? They're, they're basically just going to a shootout. Correct. At this point, you've turned it into a soccer shootout, and you're just going to line up at the two, and you're going to run your best. You know, well, you only get one play. 
You run you two, get one play. And then right, the other but I'm saying it, it's like a shootout after you've got past the first five rounds, and it's sudden death of a shootout, and you and, just keep and, going sudden death with this. you're not allowed to kick a field goal. You have to, you have to execute a play, I believe I read. And then the one that nobody really cares about, but it has to do with uh, kickoff changes. Uh, no two-man wedges. No. Remember the three-man wedges? Now See, I said nobody wedges. cares about it, but Mr. Rules over here well, was, was on that one. I was on the kickoff team my sophomore year. Happiest day of my life was first game of my junior year when they said, nope, you're not running down an L2 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there was another rule in there that I think is probably of all of them is going to get the biggest what whatevers. They're t- technically, as I read it, there's a provision in there where you cannot make you can no longer make a legal blindside block where you catch a guy not looking mm-hmm. and even if you get your head or shoulders across him if it's blindsided even if it's what we would in old terms consider a legal block it's now going to be flagged a blindside block with forcible contact will result in a 15-yard personal foul Basically, what you're saying is that all the highlights that the NFL has marketed and college football what was the said to What was the name of that tape they came out with 25 or 30 yeah. years ago? Those are all against the rules now, <laughs> even though they've built the brand up by, by showing those uh, time and again. <coughs> Speaking me. of building the brand, it's time for us to do our part. Uh, tomorrow night, draft night, the first 99 folks that show up to Madison Social wearing Knoll gear... Uh, starting at 7, we'll receive a free select drink, 99, obviously, for Brian Burns' number. So that's tomorrow night at Madso. I was going to ask the question as to why 99. Now you answered it. Yep, there you go. Uh, township, every Monday between 4 and 10, 5 bucks for a double burger and fries. If you're looking to start your week off on, on the right note but on the wrong note, if you know what I'm saying, go to Township. Wow. We will go to town with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, and uh, we'll get the opinions that really matter when we continue on He'll tell us what we think. Exactly. Right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, it's our favorite time of the week. Hopefully yours as well. We're joined now by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Tim is on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how goes it? Yeah, it goes really well, Tom. How are you? I am doing well. Are you uh, brimming with excitement and anticipation for the NFL draft, or do you not even observe such uh, festivities? Oh, no, man. I love the draft. I think the draft is really cool. I I get why people don't like it, I guess. but uh, I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun. And, so you uh, also you know, attend random high school graduation ceremonies. Well, I mean, come on now. Keith, that's a little better than that, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's a night where they call out 32 names. <laughs> let, let me just interject here, Keith. You and don't I, know in what order. I, I didn't share this with you, but the next year I hit a milestone birthday. You'll be 30? Exactly. I'm finally going to be out of my 20s. Congratulations. And the NFL draft is in vegas Uh oh i see where this is going so i think my fantasy football comrades and i may act i've always to for for making fun of the draft i've always wanted to go one time just to sit there and watch the jets fans go crazy when it used to be at radio city music hall now that they move it around i think that's cool too but i i think next year at this time i may participate 
Understood. Yeah, why would you, why would you not? And, 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 and fair disclosure, full disclosure, your fantasy group has gone to Vegas before for your just your, to your, hold the draft. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, it's, it's a, this is not precedent setting. No, it's a, well, we won't do the draft in April, but it would be a return trip to Vegas. <laughs> Enough about us. Uh, so, Tim, Brian Burns is going to go tomorrow, and, and it, it might be slim pickings after that for FSU. But what's your thought on Brian and how he projects at the next level? I, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see um, kind of what, what – I think it depends on which team that he goes to. Um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of guys, particularly of his size, uh, that were defensive ends in, in college um, be transitioned to three, four outside linebackers. And, and I know you, you kind of see a little bit of those types of projections with him, uh, particularly because, you know, he's, he's tall and he's, I think, I think it's fair to say, you know, lean. He's, he's not like a, you know, a huge thick guy. Um, I don't know that I would like that for him necessarily. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's hard for me to get out of the, uh, the mindset that you saw with, you know, Bjorn Werner, who they was drafted by the Colts, and they immediately stood him up, and it was something he hadn't really had to do before, and, you know, he, he had a hard time adjusting to it. Or even, um, you know, look at Demarcus Walker a few years ago, was drafted by Denver, and they, they tried standing him up. And I, I don't, I mean, I guess I get the, the line of thinking behind it, um, but it just seems like you, uh, except for like the most uh, unique of circumstances, seems like you're almost setting a guy up to, to fail or to, to at least have a really hard time right out of the gate. So, I, you know, I would like to see Brian go somewhere where they believe in him as a, you know, a, a traditional defensive end uh, like he was uh, at Florida State. Um, I just don't, know, I don't, I don't think I don't he has the speed to play outside. Uh, Say again? I don't think he has the speed to play outside. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I think he needs to gain. Of course, he's, I remember, what was he at, 245, 250? Yeah, at the combine, uh, you know, he gets to around two seventy. Put your hand in the dirt, play in the four three. I think he can. I think he can I have a good career. Get to two seventy with his frame, though. But the I fact that he's doing, the, the fact that he's moving in that direction probably tells you that that's kind of what he wants to do too, right? Agreed. Agreed. Um, so you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I think if if anything, if there was a a critique of Brian's game at, at Florida State, would be that you know he was a really good pass rusher and was really good at, at, at getting after the quarterback. Um, maybe not as strong against the run, which again, that's something that the, that the size plays a factor into as well. Um, if you, you know, if you, if you can't be effective against the run, I don't know if that, that might kind of limit you um, as a three-down player, right? But uh, I do think that even if, if he's as effective uh, rushing the passer and just you know getting after it on passing downs uh, as he was at Florida State, I mean, I think that he'll definitely have a role to play in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's going to, somebody's going to want him. His skill set will be valuable uh, for somebody. And then look, man, you know, the fact of the matter is, I mean, first round or not, um, you know, three down players are are becoming less and less common kind of across the board. Who else is going to get drafted from FSU? If any, I think the Marcus Christmas will. Yeah. Yeah. I I think he'll probably be the next one. I asked for when, I mean, I could, you know, it wouldn't shock me. Uh, if he if he got up into the third round, um, but I but I kind of lean maybe toward an early day three kind of guy. But I mean the fact is, you know that that position that he plays uh, in the interior defensive line. I mean you can never have enough of those guys. Coaches across America say it at all levels, and he's a he's a big guy, strong. Um, you know was, was productive uh, for the most part at that position. Somebody will will look at him and his size and kind of his pedigree and, and take a chance on him. So I think he'll get drafted. Uh, and then you know the guys you got to keep an eye on, and, and you know we'll, we'll see. I think are, are Nyquan Murray and, and Jacquez Patrick. Um, you 
you know, I, I know they're, they're kind of in and out of, of different draft projections, and I don't, I don't think we'd be surprised either way. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I mean, anything can happen, right? I mean, you saw, uh, you know, Rick Leonard get drafted higher than I think anybody thought he would a year ago. There are other examples of guys who, who sort of, um, you know, buck the projections and, and buck the mock drafts, and, and somebody, you know, falls in love with them or somebody likes an interview and, and takes a chance. And so, to me, um, Jock Quest is a guy that I kind of want to keep an eye on. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he'll get drafted, but I do think he'll. I think he'll get a chance somewhere in a training camp. I mean, almost guaranteed, right? When you think about one, uh, his production, uh, especially considering you know he was playing behind Dalvin Cook for part of that time, and then playing behind Cam Akers for part of that time. Um, but you know, I think he's going to crush the uh, the interview setting, right? He's going to do really well uh, whenever he meets with a coach or a general manager or a scout. I think they're going to like. Whoever whoever he meets with, I think he's going to like him from a personality standpoint. And then when you match that up with his abilities, I think he's going to get an opportunity somewhere. Whether or not that's in the draft, uh, you know, you cross your fingers. But uh, but he's a guy that I'm kind of curious to see how things well, shake plus, out. Plus, I, I guess you'd have to say he's the number one fullback available because nobody else has fullbacks anymore, do they? <laughs> no, pretty much, pretty much. And there's not. still that's, three that's or really four or five NFL teams that that will use that type of personnel package. Yeah, and then you know something that you know he could he could probably transition to that you know maybe a little bit easier. He's got the frame, and he's he's so tall. I mean, I think that if you get him in an NFL weight program, um, you know, he's a guy that probably could bulk up a little bit and uh, and still be pretty effective. All right, let's switch sports here and talk some baseball, Tim. The good news is the team is winning, and they're playing as we speak right now. So uh, trying to get two in a row over Stetson, but uh, this is what confounds me, Tim. And I have not been out there a lot, hardly at all this year. Uh, nothing against the product or the team or 11 or anything. It's just personal schedule. Uh, it's called children. It, yeah, it's called children, exactly. So check me in 10 years. I'll go back to the games, right? Uh, that said, every time I look at a box score, it, it's it's a area code. I mean, it's like 894 or, you know, I mean, that last yeah, yeah. column has always got a, a big number in it. What's going on there? Well, I, I assume you're talking uh, specifically about the uh, the last number. Yeah, I'm talking about the last column, the errors. Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure it's driving Mike Martin crazy. Um, you know, I thought they had actually gone a, a stretch there um, when they were beating Clemson and you know and, and hanging with Florida a couple weeks ago. Where I thought they did a little bit better uh, in that regard, um, and even the, the errors that they that they did make, uh, a lot of them didn't come back to uh, to hurt them. Man, I don't know. It's it's been an issue for um, you know a few years now, and and I mean, what do you do? Like, how do you fix it? It's not like guys don't know what to do. Um, I don't know if it's a mental thing. I mean, you know, guys, I mean, they've been fielding ground balls since they were four years old. Um, you know, what happens there? I, I I wish I could be more insightful. I don't I don't necessarily have an answer. Um, yeah, and it's like it's a, in, in football, ahead, you don't want to you go with the uh, hey, don't fumble, you know, don't yeah, make well, an I mean, error, that's it, right? Yeah. Don't drop the ball, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, just pick, pick up the baseball, you know. This, I mean, it's like it's guys, you know. I think we as, as fans, you know, your first inclination is to to, to blame the coaches or, or blame you know whatever it is they're doing. But like, man, guys know how to pick up a ball. You know what I mean? Like, like a, 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 a veteran infielder at a, at a Florida State baseball team has been has been doing this for as long as he's been alive. It's not like it's just a lack of practice or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I said I wonder if maybe it's mental. Um, I do think that. I mean, look, given where things were two or three weeks ago, uh, I'm, I'm not quite ready to start moving the goalposts on victories. I understand that, that the, you know the errors are frustrating, but I mean, there's also a team that's 
that's won a lot of games lately um, and has, has done what it needed to do in terms of, of turning its season around and, and putting itself, you know, at this point uh, in pretty good position to, uh, to make the postseason. So, um, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks when, uh, when things are a little more solidified, we can, you know, start nitpicking a little bit more heavily. But I, I don't know. I'm just kind of not there yet. Well, the good news is the, the upcoming opponents on paper are games that Florida State will be favored to win. Yeah. The bad news is when you're beating teams whose your RPI is higher than yours, lower than yours, or whatever, higher I, than yours, your RPI doesn't come down very much. Well, and, it's also uh, weirdly like it's a little bit of pressure too, right? Because if you're if you're supposed to beat these teams, you know what happens if you don't? Well, you know what happens if you do lose after you know throwing a ball into the stands or something like that. So, and then that's kind of a an interesting. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting test for for this group as well um, because. You know, that's 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 kind of a way that, that that doubt can creep in as well. It's one thing to kind of get your stride back uh, against teams that that maybe came in here as, as favorites, like Clemson did, um, and maybe kind of have that chip on your shoulder. But you know, when you you know your next step now is you know what do you do in these games where you're expected to win, and it's sort of a more of a handle your business type of of stretch or series. Um, and so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's you know it's it's a it's a welcome stretch for for Florida State after a you know pretty challenging couple of weeks. Uh, but it's, I think it's another opportunity to, to test themselves in kind of a, a different way. The best thing is it appears the starting pitching on Friday and Saturday has settled in, and if you're going to get those performances from those first two guys, you got a chance to win every series the rest of the way, and that would include should you make it to the Super Regionals because uh, really the Regionals is the only time you need to extend your staff. I mean, Supers goes back to a regular weekend series. Anyway, we can pontificate on that later. Real quickly as we wrap up, Tim, uh, any insider thoughts on the latest uh, hoops signee from the uh, JUCO world that FSU's added? Uh, I mean, you know, I think it's a good thing. They're, they're definitely going to need some uh, some depth there. Um, having two uh, two Raekwons is kind of interesting, right? Uh, so that'll be a, that'll be kind of a fun. I'm well, sure, we had uh, two Walkers the year before last or last year. Yeah, you know, so uh, so I mean, we can come up with uh, you know maybe a, a nickname for uh, for those guys. Obviously, they play different positions. Well, Ra- uh, our Raekwon, known Raekwon, is known as Turk already. I, you know. Yeah, so there you go. So that uh, so that that works uh, pretty well. So maybe we can uh, we can come up with like a rhyming nickname for. Uh, for, for new Raekwon, but uh, but yeah, no, I think it's uh, certainly something that you, you, you needed to add. Um, I suspect that they probably are uh, are not done, uh, you know, kind of mining the uh, the JUCOs and, and any other transfers to kind of um, make up for for some of the departures uh, from this year's team. So I think there'll be a couple more new faces added in the mix as well. Tim, uh, we'll let you work on the nickname you have until they roll out the basketballs in late September or October, whenever that is, and uh, you can report back to us then. You got it, guys. I appreciate it. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. We will continue to talk Florida State Athletics. It's what we do. And uh, we'll delve uh, onto the golf course, if you can believe that, when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. We do this each and every week. uh, 6 o'clock it airs live right here. And uh, obviously you can... Subscribe to the podcast. Tune in however you like. Uh, we hope you do so. Appreciate your support of the program. We talk Florida State Athletics. We're going to talk right now to 
an ACC champion as we uh, reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to uh, the reigning champion on the golf course on the men's side in the ACC, John Pack from Florida State. How are you, John? Good. How are you doing? Good. How does that sound, ACC champ? It sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, something I've always dreamed of when I first came to Florida State. I was amazed when I looked at uh, some of the highlights, and you've had a, a great career, even though you're, I guess technically you're not even halfway into it at this point. Uh, I, I remember when, when Trey got here and he started turning things around, and he's been here a while now, but you know, early on he, he had some names come through, and Jonas Blix was the ACC champ back, and I, I was shocked when I looked and thought it was 2007, because in my mind it doesn't feel that long ago. But the, the point is you're, this, this is a conference that has been elite uh, at in golf for years and years when you look at the programs that are in the Atlantic Coast Conference. And, and, and Trey and yourself and many others have helped get Florida State to that stage. So uh, give us a little more context of the company you're keeping now when you think about not just who's been successful at the conference level from FSU, but just when you look at all the other names that have come through this conference over the years. Well, yeah, obviously you had last year's USAM champ play uh, Doc Redman and you know previous FSU alums like Daniel Berger, Brooks Kepka and obviously Jonas Blake. So yeah, the ACC has gotten has always been strong, and you know it's definitely strong this year. I think we had eight teams in the top seven teams in the top twenty five playing in the ACC championship. So I thought when I saw that, that was really impressive. John, you talk about when you were a youngster and you were looking at things. You, by all accounts, uh, you're you're not only a great golfer, but you're a student of the game. What what got you? intrigued and in, in not only playing it but studying it and, and, and knowing the, the uh, out of bounds or out of out of uh, off the golf course type of things that you're, you're familiar with I'm sorry I, I didn't quite understand the question well you, you're a student of the game you're not just playing the game you understand the game in terms of who who's done what who's been where yeah, yeah. that type of thing when, when did you get interested in that and what piqued your interest in that um it was probably when I was like 15 years old it's kind of when I was starting to compete against you know some of the greatest golfers in the game at that age and you know just knowing where what everyone's at and who's playing well it's it kind of sets a goal for myself to you know try to beat that best player and you know as you go to junior golf to college golf to pro golf you kind of you kind of see levels and you know there's always that the guy to beat and you know have to do a little little bit of research on that to find out who who that is you mentioned Brooks Kepka. I'm just guessing that you've had a chance to meet him, given his Florida State ties. Uh, have Have you met him? I mean, what's your impression? I mean, he's. Uh, we'll get to the Tiger part of this conversation in a second, but Brooks was right there again, and uh, you know, prior to Tiger reincarnating himself, I mean, really, Kepka has been as good as anybody the last couple of years. Yeah, so I actually I had the chance to meet Brooks last year at uh, the Floridian, and uh, I'm pretty sure he practices out there. And uh, yeah, when I met him, he was really good guy, really nice, you know. Uh, he brought his U.S. Open trophy, so that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I had a great time meeting them. So I mentioned Tiger's name, and, and I'm, I'm looking at your bio, and uh, you indicate Jason Day is your favorite professional golfer. So before I get to Tiger, what what, what intrigued you there, and, and how was he influential for you? Um, so he actually came to visit all the junior golfers in the tournament at the Junior Invitational at Sage Valley, and he was just speaking to all of us, and, he was very motivational. He said, "He always he kept saying that I wish uh, I could play against each and every one of you in the future." And he's just very genuinely nice guy. So, you know, I really enjoyed talking to him. What were your thoughts as you watched 
the Masters unfold to see Tiger come back. And I don't know how much you 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 know you followed him in his heyday, but obviously the Tiger boom was pretty big. And then uh, uh, you know there was a boom, and then there was a Tiger bust for a decade, and here he is back again. Yeah. So I actually also had the chance to meet Tiger Woods at Sage Valley the year before Jason Day, and yeah, he's one of my favorite golfers as well. And you know, I actually I played ping pong with him, and he gave me like a little mini swing lesson. So I love Tiger. Watching him win the Masters was was awesome. I was watching with some of my good friends, so you know he made history, and that was amazing. So, so wait, who won the ping pong game? He was my teammate. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so you guys dusted whoever you were playing on the other side. You're playing doubles ping pong. I got you. Sadly, we did not win. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. your I appreciate your honesty there. Uh, <laughs> We're talking with uh, John Pack, who's the ACC men's golf champion, the first Seminole to win the ACC title since Jonas Blixt in 2007. Keith, I'll let you jump in, but just for the sake of our listeners, 10 consecutive rounds in the 60s, 15 of his 29 rounds this year have been in the 60s. Scoring average of 69.17 is the lowest in a single year in program history, and I'll stop because that's a lot to digest, but it's all good. Trey Trey is is also an interesting individual as a coach, John. I think you, you probably would pick up on that, but... Uh, yeah. he, he, uh, he can find and, and attempts uh, new and creative ways to motivate you guys. What, what, what have you learned from him and what's the most unusual way you've learned anything from him? Um, he always talks about adversity and I think that's super important. You know, I, I remember one day it was probably 25 degrees, probably the coldest day in Tallahassee and we weren't supposed to practice, but he tells us, you know, go put on our rain gear, go put on our, you know, raincoats. And he was like, let's go out and play. And all of us were groaning and we didn't want to. But he got our minds ready to, you know, we had to play in all conditions possible. So he didn't actually make us play, but he made us get ready for, you know, he tricked us into qualifying and we didn't actually qualify. But, yeah, he just he teaches us a adversity and i think that's really important what speaking of training the job he's done and, and what you've uh, infused into the program you know a few years back uh he would florida state was right there knocking on the door of a national championship in in men's golf and uh it, it's not that you've stepped that far back you're right in the conversation again but to get back to the truly elite level what do you think it will take for this team um, I think we just have to be mentally tougher. We have a really talented team. The guys, I think, have so much talent, and if they just, you know, put their minds to it, they could be really good. And I think we're right there, and I, I really think we're in the conversation. So, if we just play our best golf, I think we'll we'll compete for the national championship. Talking with John Pack, who's the reigning ACC champion. Keith, a couple other bullets: five career tournament wins, including four this year as a sophomore. And uh, Nolan Henke, by the way, is first on the list. He's currently second. And Henke had eight wins in uh, in his four-year career. Of course, he went on to play in the, the PGA Tour. Um, so what's, what's the favorite club in your bag? Favorite club? Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, maybe the driver. I, I, think, um, I think the final round at ACC's, I, I hit all 14 fairways. I think maybe missed around three all of that week. So it's been definitely been helping me out all right now john let's be fair height what's your height and weight i'm five nine and i'm 165 pounds 
and you're pulling out the big dog. That's your favorite. That's your favorite club. Yeah, it doesn't go too far, but it it finds a fairway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't go too far. I was going to say that. Put it put in quotes. A lot of us say that, but so how far does it go, John? Um, I'm the, I'm, look at it this way. I'm the shortest hitter on my team, and I probably hit about 285. Gotcha. I'm usually laying three. <laughs> <laughs> what what's your uh, what's the favorite course you've played, or or that you want to play? Favorite course I've played. Um, we played like seven holes at Best Page Black, which was probably one of the toughest courses and it was just really cool um uh yeah i've always wanted to play augusta obviously is is there is there a framework or a methodology where you could get to the masters without actually declaring uh you know as a pro um i mean they do invite amateurs there are there are mechanisms to get there Do do you have a path that would lead you there in the next year or two that you're aware of yeah um the usm uh the champion and a finalist they both get exempt into the masters as an amateur so i'll be playing that this year at, uh it's at pinehurst number two so you know if i play really well there and make it to the finals i could play the masters next year well we'd, we'd be and happy to always, help you with any course every amateur's goal yeah goal. We'd, we'd be happy to help you with a course setup tom and i have never played pinehurst number two <laughs> but we walked it once <laughs> <laughs> they used to hold the acc football kickoff at uh, at pinehurst well after you qualify then you can just have tiger hand you the jacket next year i mean that would be a good deal right <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be incredible Talking about courses, and I don't know how into the weeds you are about this, but but Trey Jones, as you know, uh, it's his baby. The the redesign of what's going on at Seminole Golf Course. Uh, I, you know, what does that mean to you, or what do you know about it? I know it's going to open later this year. It's it's you know it's Jack Nicklaus uh, stamped, notarized, all that, uh, if you will. Um, what what will that mean for you and the team? Do you think? Um, I, the whole team is just so excited. Um, just. One one fact I do know is the back nine is four thousand one hundred and eighty yards. Holy cow! Yeah, so you know, coach can set it up in so many different ways, and I think we just planted grass the other day, and it it looks pretty cool from what I saw in the pictures. So yeah, we're just really excited to have you know a course on that level, that distance is it's. everyone's really excited make a note john if you and i ever play together and we're on that back nine i will be playing from the forward tees (laughs) (laughs) which forward tees the one at 3800 do you have one that's at 2700 (laughs) (laughs) john what's uh we'll wrap up on this i know there's uh i I won't call it downtime because i know you guys are fine-tuning your game but uh you'll get word on the ncaa regionals in the postseason here in the next week or so i presume and then Mm -hmm. uh do you have expectations uh does the team have expectations on on you know where you'll be slotted in the regionals and and where you could go from there we're we're hoping georgia because it's a course we played before and it's not too far it's just easy travel so that'd be really nice if we could go there well, congratulations uh, on the success thus far. Best of luck in the postseason and the rest of your Florida State and and uh, what will be a professional career as well. It's uh, It'll be fun to watch your career continue to uh, flourish. Congrats. Thank you. Appreciate it. John Pack from the uh, men's golf team, ACC champ. That sounds pretty good.
Only been two in Florida State's history that I'm aware of. Do I have that correct? Yeah, Jonas Blixt yep. and, and John Pack now. And, uh, I, you know, and obviously Brooks Kepka has, has put Florida State into that golf conversation. There have been others over the years. Uh, Daniel Berger's another one who's – uh, that's whose scoring record he he broke, by the way, with what he's done this and I, year. You know, I go all the way back, and and and, and obviously John to knows this. and Azinger, and, and, you know, and, you know, and even Herbert Green, Hubert uh, Green, who yeah. passed away here recently. Uh, you know, it. it I, I was thinking this morning when I knew that John was coming on, and it took me a while because I'm of age where sometimes memories are a little lacking. But uh, the late great Don Veller, I never will forget a conversation I had with Veller. We'll close on this, but. It was about the middle of January, January 15th, January 16th. We were doing something with the varsity club, and uh, I walked up to Coach Veller. Uh, and he's nine, 88, 90, 92 years of age. I mean, he's up there, and he's still playing. And I said, Coach, how you doing? He says, I'm annoyed. I'm aggravated. I said, what's up? He said, well, I had to file an amended tax return. What do you mean an amended tax? Well, I file my taxes on January 2nd every year. I said, really? Yeah, yeah. He says, I got a residual check from the commercial I did down at Arnold's place where I'm sitting on the steps holding the club when I was 87 and shot my age, they didn't send me the check quick enough, and now i got to re-redo my tax return because I filed it too early. <laughs> and there, folks, for a number of reasons, uh, that would never happen to me. <laughs> one of them being shooting my age, another one being I'll never file my taxes on January 2nd. I can guarantee you that. Um, I feel like this show, Keith, we need to get some music and just give you a, a story time segment. It's like stories with grandpa and we just, we need some music around it's it. It's not grandpa. It's poppy. It's poppy. poppy. Poppy time. And we, we got to think about this. I got to flesh this out, figure out who the sponsor should be. And we'll just give you the floor so you can tell us how it was or, or when you used to walk uphill both ways in the snow. Or maybe we'll just do And actually segment. had to wear the pads twice a day for two days. Maybe we'll just do the segment and it'll never make air. And therefore that would gets on air. We'll never have that in it. If you follow the train of thought. No, but okay. I'm used to that. Moving on. That's the way this show goes. Moving we'll come back on. and wrap things up right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. A final segment to go. Still plenty of time here and plenty for us to react to. Good to have John Pack on and good to have another ACC champion in the fold at FSU. We didn't really talk about it, but... Our listeners need to understand, particularly those that don't follow golf, this kid is really, really good. I mean, this, this is not an, an, a year that was not envisioned. I think he's technically playing as a sophomore. When he got here as a freshman, there were folks that said, keep your eye on this kid. He's got all that and then some, and he's done nothing to dispel that, that thought process that uh, his, his, his upward mobility is on a very steep track. I don't know how much longer he'll stay around here. We didn't ask him about that. Obviously, he probably wouldn't answer it appropriately. But, you know, I don't know if it would be after this year. But certainly, I'd be surprised if he plays a full four seasons at Florida State. He's that good. Congratulations to him. Best of luck to he and the men's golf team as they get into the NCAA regionals. The women's golf team has that coming up as well. They finished second at the ACC's. Amy Bond has done a great job. There's good news on the tennis front. We're going to have uh, women's tennis coach Jennifer Hyde join us next week on the show. 
the women's tennis team and and actually they're finding out tonight or may have just found out whether or not they're hosting first and second round tennis next weekend i think they probably will be uh they're enjoying one of the best seasons uh in florida state history so we'll we'll do that uh, some justice and and talk with her next week i want to go back to basketball we didn't discuss this with tim as as fsu is uh well, transfer portal is coming up in basketball too, you know. So it's a whole other recruiting. Well, the reality is that basketball probably is what forced football to go to the to the portal because there was so much movement within the basketball community that the the football folks looked at it and said, "We might want to get ahead of this a little bit." It really is a shift. I mean, it's an extra burden that you're having to recruit more and you got to re-recruit your own players and all that. But also, when a guy like Fee leaves early, uh, you can go out there and say, okay, how can we make do? What's out there? And, and Florida State has had some guys in. But what I was going to say, not so much players, but Dennis Gates' name is out there as potential candidate for the Northern Kentucky job. And this is a product, honestly, this is what you want. Not that you want Dennis Gates to leave, but when, you're, when your program elevates, people associated with it, are going to get phone calls. And so if you look at Dennis Gates, now the, the program's been in the tournament three straight years. He had an Elite Eight run, a Sweet, a sweet 16 run. And some of the guys that uh, I'm not going to say that he was the primary recruiter and I don't know necessarily, although I think he was for fee. I believe that is correct. I believe uh, that's correct. Maybe maybe not for, for Bacon and Beasley and Isaac. I don't recall offhand. But regardless, when you're watching the NBA playoffs and there's Malik Beasley and Jonathan Isaac, that puts Florida State's name out there, and, and, and people who are doing the looking start asking questions about who got those guys there two, and who two, coached them up. Two things about Dennis. Um, uh, he is a very reserved individual. He's very respectful of uh, Coach Hamilton's position as well as Coach Stan Jones, the associate head coach's position. But when you get Dennis off by himself, uh, I would label him, Tommy, as, as charismatic. I mean, he he can hold court. He can talk and and keep and, and captivate like you would expect a head coach to do. Personally, I thought he was gone. It was either last year or the year before uh, when he interviewed for the California job. And, and and basically, in my opinion, that was a job that that there were things that went on that didn't allow him to take that job. He was a, he's a he's a graduate of California. Uh, he would have been a great fit there, and, and I think. We're lucky that he didn't get that job and he was able to stay here at Florida State for another year or two or three. But he's a guy, in my personal opinion, Tommy, that that's done all he can do as an assistant coach. He's ready to take on that next level, that head coaching job at the next level. And I think he'll excel at it. Uh, I am very, very impressed, very high on Dennis Gates. Great, great. Um, he, he maybe not have the the recruits behind his name, that, that you might want, but his ability to develop players once they get to Florida State. When you go to the basketball banquets at the end of the year, the first assistant coach that every one of your seniors says thank you to is Dennis Gates because of the things and the drills and the, and the uh, procedures and, and everything that he makes them do during practice. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get you want to get a smile on the player's face. You get around them when there's no audience around and there's no lights and no camera. And you say, now, now, which one of the coaches uh, can can go off and and you know really get your attention and go from zero to sixty real quick? And this real reserved, uh, almost appearing to be shy individual in Dennis Gates, everyone will tell you he can get fired up during practice. <laughs> 
saying go off the charts because he's got that competitive uh, edge and spirit to him. I, I wish him well. I don't want him to leave, but it's time for him to go, and he deserves to have the opportunity to go. We've become a basketball show in a basketball town, right? Because here we are continuing the conversation. But the news that came out yesterday in regard to the college basketball FBI scandal, so it was only a matter of time, but somebody yesterday uh, – Somebody, a former financial advisor, Marty Blazer, testified under oath that he made payments to college football players at several well-known programs. For 12 or 14-year period or something. In the hopes that uh, they would procure his services professionally once they were uh, at that phase. So he didn't name specific names, but he did name specific schools, Pitt, Michigan, Notre Dame, Northwestern, Alabama, Penn State, and North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina was probably so focused on academics during that same time. Okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> the question really is, when is the FBI going to open Pandora's box here on this one? I, I, I and do I, we really I, care? I mean, we know this has been going on. Well, it's coming. I think the, the, it's, it's, it's a question of when, not if. Uh, I think what we have seen uh, as a result of uh, the basketball side is that it is um, epidemic Almost everyone is involved in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, and some of the stories that came out on the basketball side were were unbelievable. So you can only imagine that there will be similar stories that would eventually come out on the football side. Um, it's a nature of millions of dollars, uh, billions of dollars, and and the and the you know just the notoriety and the and how how into it fans are at the collegiate level. Um, I just want to know where all this money was and where all this opportunity was in 1976 and 1977 because I didn't see any of it. Does that mean I was not a very good player or what? I don't know. You kept talking, so I didn't have to. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing that happened, and then we'll we'll wrap up the show on this. Um, LSU has a new athletic director. I'm sure you paid attention to this. He went to LSU – well-connected at LSU. Scott Woodward is his name. Happens to be the guy that was the AD at Texas A&M that hired Jimbo Fisher for $75 million over 10 years. So how long until Jimbo is coaching in Baton Rouge? Well, you- I say that facetiously, but at the same time, I'm not suggesting it be this year or next, but in two or three years, if Jimbo has had a modicum of success at Texas A&M and Ed Orgeron runs his course in Baton Rouge... It's not only is it not out of the realm of possibility, it might become probability. Well, two things. Number one, you have more inside information than I do, so I can only talk from an observer. But there's two things about LSU that um, even Jimbo would pay attention to. Number one, they've got a, a huge problem on the basketball side with their basketball coach. He's been implicated. He's on, let me tell you, I've listened to the tapes. That's to me, that's short term though. I'm not, uh, but, but, because I'm not suggesting Jimbo's going there now. I'm, I'm talking two to three years. Well, it'll be one to two years until his agent is leveraging that into more dollars somehow. All right. We know how that script goes. Well, my first point is they've, they've got problems in their athletic department. Their AD was reasonably well respected around the conference and even nationally. And they're not going to say it, but he was relieved of his duties because he sided with the basketball coach. And the president ain't happy about that. 
Number two, when Jimbo was up for the job in LSU two or three or four years ago, the same AD that's been relieved of his job that your boy Scott has now replaced – I think, I think my boy Scott is a little bit of an exaggeration, but I mean, <laughs> I know his name. I've never met him, but go ahead. Well, they wanted to hire Jimbo and by some accounts had had conversations with Sexton, Jimbo's agent, to the point where they were talking numbers. The president for LSU then stepped in again and said, no, no, we are not going to release that much money okay, so because, here's- hush, because LSU – despite everything to the contrary, LSU's got money problems. LSU can't afford Jimbo Fisher. Okay? They don't have the money to do that. And here's where I'll step in. Are you through? Or am I still on hush? You're on hush. Okay, you can go now. All right, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, again, we do this every week. You know, last week we were Tennessee Volunteer Knowles, you know, front row Vols. Now we're front row Tigers, right? Um. Joe Oliva is the AD that they relieved of his duties, and the basketball thing was a small part of it. Joe Oliva lost complete favor there when he tried to get Les Miles fired, and it backfired on him at the time because he didn't have the clout to do it. And, and, now that, that, and that is a true statement. So from that day forward, which was 2015, Joe Oliva was a dead man walking in terms of the AD at LSU, in my opinion. Now, what has been talked about, and I don't know enough about LSU to know if it's true, he wasn't a good fundraiser. I think that the, the guy they have now – is from Baton Rouge, went to LSU. He actually worked with Mark Emmert, who the NCAA head, who was the LSU chancellor at that time. Very well respected. This guy will be able to fundraise. And I don't know that there is a dollar concern. I don't know enough about it. But I'll, t- I'll bring it back to Jimbo, and we'll wrap up the show after this. I had a conversation. I don't know that I shared this at the time when he was at Florida State. And this would have been – it probably was 2010 or 2011. It was very early in Jimbo's head coaching career, before we started having this flirt with another school every year. And by the way, for interjection for our listeners that may not be aware, Tom did have the opportunity to have quite a number of private conversations with Jimbo because you hosted his coach's show. And in this case, it was actually, I was guess it was pinch hitting for Gene or we were on one of the coach's tours. So we were flying somewhere. Uh, same thing Coach Taggart's doing right now with Gene. But it was a conversation about recruiting. And so if you knew Jimbo at all, uh, if you small talked outside of football with Jimbo about whatever it is, how's the family or did you see this or what's going on in West Virginia, that lasted 30 seconds and then you got back to talking football, whether it was X's and O's or recruiting or here's what we need. That's singular focus. But this was a conversation. And bottom line, uh, cutting to the quick here, he said there's only two schools in the country that are the top dog in the state and have no competition for recruits. It's Ohio State and it's LSU. And if you think about it, and 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 are in states that produce that football, have some football that players. have football players. And so ever since he said that, so point being, the conversation continued in his mind. Tennessee, not a great job because you have to go out of state to recruit. So you're always number two. Clemson, not a great job because you don't have enough kids in South Carolina. Although although Dabo is turning that theory on his head, but Jimbo would have agreed with that. You know, if you're going into Georgia to get kids, you're you're already number two below the folks in Athens was his point about Tennessee. If you're at LSU or Ohio State, that's not the case. you got enough kids in state. So anyway, that conversation took place. And so when he flirted with LSU, I I really thought he was gone. Uh, Certainly, I I forget whether it was the first time or the second time. Ended up, maybe for the reasons you pointed out, he didn't leave. But I do think that will come up at some point. The argument against it would be, well, you got to compete with Alabama. But he already took a job where he's competing against Alabama, so that one's off the table. That one's gone. That That one's one's gone. That one's off the table. So anyway... Uh, enough of front row tigers. Do we have anything else to, uh, to, to wrap up? 
NFL draft tomorrow night. Good luck to Brian Burns, the other guys. Did you? Uh, and all, on all serious note, these guys put their blood, sweat, and tears into this forever, and and we talk about them as as commodities a lot, which is unfortunate. It's the way we talk about it, uh, but it's a big moment in their lives, and uh, you know, I hope for all of them that that they do get a chance to fulfill that. It's dream. a lifelong dream. It's a childhood yeah. dream. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'd ask you as we close is, did you get a new pair of high top tennis shoes? Oh, the ones Taggart had out there on social media? <laughs> no. no. Have we, you ever even owned a pair of Air Jordans? Uh, I probably did at some point. I don't think I have. I don't but it was back in the era where there was like two versions of them, not 112 versions. Well, if you haven't looked at it, Google it. Look at it. There's a short video of Coach uh, Taggart opening the box of his seminal clad uh, Air Jordans. It's kind of neat. I, I, I mean, I, I was impressed. I looked at it for the eight or ten seconds that it was on. How did you look in your white Converse back in the day? By the way, hey, careful now. <laughs> you Chuck. had a pair. You had a pair. Don't talk about my chucks. Don't talk about my chucks. We'll we'll talk more about them next week on Front Renolds. Front Renolds. Have a great week, everybody. No dark sarcasm in the classroom.